When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, welcome in. This is All Ball. All Ball all the time. Um, a couple things I want to get to, and then Dan Munson is my guest. This is going to be a two-part pod, and you're just you're not going to want to miss part two. It's part one is amazing. Part two is even better. So, but that doesn't mean you should download part two and not listen to part one. Uh, we start with with the beginnings of what I thought was a basketball career. It turned out, do you know he was a football player in college as well? how he got into college coaching, uh, what it was like being around his dad. Um, he, he actually had two minors and one of those minors was a, actually, they're both the reason that he became a coach. There's a, there's a bunch to get to. So Dan Munson, who, uh, is one of the, he's, he, he was, the, he was the coach of, of Gonzaga when they went to the Elite eight and they may well have their best team ever this year. We'll see the number one team in the country. We talked to Mark View. We talked about the Gonzaga family. There, there's a, just a, 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 an incredible, like a crap ton of great stories in this pod. Uh, I do want to say this one thing on on um, on the on the Brooklyn Nets. There's there's a lot of discussion, and frankly, I think reasonable discussion on Kyrie Irving and how he's difficult. I don't know how much he really wants to be playing basketball right now. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to, if not every NBA champion eats, drinks, sleeps, 
everything basketball. Not, not every guy does. Some of them, it's just what they did. I don't think Derek Jeter loved baseball. He never, you ask him, he never watched baseball when he was playing baseball. On a night off, it wasn't like he was watching ball. It wasn't about it. Just something that he did. Even now, with what he does with the Yankees, well, excuse me, what he does with his own team, the Marlins, I'm not sure he's all about ball. That said, doesn't mean you can't beat me. He's arguably the the greatest player of our generation. I mean, I would argue otherwise, but again, there's an argument there. Mr. Yankee, shortstop, champion, clutch player, etc. But as much as we want to point out the flaws of Kyrie Irving, he dribbles too much. He thinks he's a defensive, better defensive player than he is. He's hard to coach and no one knows if he's going to be around tomorrow, even if he plays great tonight. I, I, think there's a chance this thing works with with James Harden as the facilitator and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as the scorers. It doesn't mean that there won't be nights in which James Harden gets his. It doesn't mean that you couldn't see a way in which if they could move Kyrie Irving and get pieces, they probably would, but you can't because no one knows if a show will work tomorrow. But let's not defame Kyrie Irving. That guy can seriously hoop. He is a bucket. He is the best ball handling, finishing guard in the league. It's some of the other little nonsense stuff, the things he says, some of the things he does that drive people crazy, but mostly because he has so much God-given talent and he's had so much productivity when he's been healthy in the NBA. I'm not a seller. I think I'm kind of a buyer because I don't really love any of the other teams in the East. All right, let's get to our podcast. Dan Munson has been the head coach for a long time with Long Beach State. But once upon a time, he was the head coach of Tiny Little Gonzaga. And after taking over, they went to the Elite Eight, right? In two years, he went to the NIT and then the Elite Eight. And, uh, and then he left. And we'll get to whether or not there's remorse or how he looks back. Did he watch the games? Did he cheer for the team? Did he always? Uh, there's some good stories about Minnesota in here. Some incredible stories about Gonzaga. I hope you enjoy my conversation. Here's the head coach of the 49ers of Long Beach State, Dan Munson. Um, okay, let me just start with this. Is uh, like our, our, our lives are not similar. They're, you know, same sport or whatever, but we both grew up in basketball households. What was the Munson household like when you were a kid? Well, that, that's, a, that's a great question because I want to know what the Gottlieb household was like because down here in orange county you know uh your dad your dad was like you know running the au and all that i i, I think uh the the probably the difference was in mine is i didn't have a brother uh it was just me and my dad all the time and so uh when it was time to go to practice you know it was like a big deal when i you know didn't have school and could go and the yellow school bus would you know he was a high school coach to begin with uh and uh, the yellow school bus would come along around the elementary school to pick me up with the team on it. I mean, that was the coolest thing the, for the whole playground to see me to get on the high school bus was was pretty cool. So I have great memories, you know, but I don't know. I don't know how your dad was with it, but but my dad was adamant for me not to get into it. Um, uh, coaching? Yeah, he, coaching. Yeah, he did not want me to be a coach. He always said, hey, you're you're too smart. You know, this, you know, and I. Uh, you know, you see all the pitfalls and, you know, everybody else just sees the, the, you know, the good parts of it and everything. But I was a junior at, at Idaho in a, in a, 
accounting class, a sophomore, and just going to your junior year, they had to, you had to start picking the the actual accounting classes. And I, I just started like in a cold sweat, like, you mean I'm going to be doing people's taxes for the rest of my life? I can't do that. So I, I went home for Sunday dinner because he was a coach at the University of Idaho at the time. And I was, uh, I was going to the University of Idaho. And uh, so I, I'd always come home to get my laundry done for, for by my mom and get, get a free cooked meal. And uh, I was nervous. And I, I said, and, and, you know, as you, as we have, we have a lot of traits of our dads and, and uh, a lot of the thing. Well, he was shoveling food in like my kids do. And like I do, you know, no manners to it at all. Just over there, just not even looking up, you know, just eat. And I said, dad, I got something I want to talk to you about. I, I said, I want to be a coach. And he didn't even quit eating. And, and he, I think he had food in his mouth when he answered. And he said, uh, you want to be a coach? Cause, uh, cause I coach or you want to be a coach? Cause you want to coach. And I said, uh, Dad, it's it's I, it's it's what I it's all I know. It's what I want to do. It's what I want to be. It's it's what I want to do. And I can't. I I, I don't want to get do people's taxes. I don't want to be that person. And he didn't say a word. He got up around the table, gave me a big hug, and said, uh, "But you're not going to major in PE. You're too smart for that." But uh, I'm. You know, he just wanted me to do. You know, for the right reasons. And um, you know, my my son now is McGuire is is with. A, a student assistant with Leon Rice at Boise. And I tell my boys, it's great, you know, cause it's been so great for me. And, and uh, you know, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, okay. But you, you know, you played for him. What was that like? What's the experience of playing for your dad like in college? You, you know, that the interesting thing about me is, is I, I know you, you played at Notre Dame and, and, and uh, Oklahoma state and stuff. I didn't, I was not, a, I was not a college player. I, I played high school and I was better in football. And I actually played for Dennis Erickson at the University of Idaho football for two years. And tore, I tore an ACL my senior year in high school. Which oh, I thought you hurt your knee in college playing for him. Playing for I, I hurt my knee. My, and then my, my right knee, I, I, I tore my ACL my freshman year at Idaho uh, playing football. And so I, I had a void in my, in my day every day. Then at 3 o'clock, I didn't know what to do. So I just started going to basketball practice because I knew more about basketball and, you know, my dad's there and everything. So I just went to practice every day my junior, senior year and, uh, and just sat there, you know, with my big – back then you had a cast from your, from your hip to your ankle, you know, for a year. You were, you know, laid up with the ACL. So, uh, that, you know, I always knew more about it. I was just a better football player co- coming out of high school. Who was Dennis Erickson like? He was good. He was a player's coach. I, I you know, uh, I, I enjoyed uh, my time there. I was, I was n- nothing. I, you know, I, uh, I, my, my career was three kickoff, um, kickoff teams and uh, tore my knee my, my freshman year there. So, you know. No, uh, but I, I mean more in terms of like, look, he was very successful at yeah. Miami, at Oregon State. And I just, I, I'm fascinated by, you know, coaching is coaching, right? Yeah. Like the, the, the X and O's I understand is, is different in terms of football. And, you know, you have other assistants. Uh, so you have position groups and so the stuff, but there is something to being able to motivate, organize, um, and, and get everybody collectively, you know, pushing towards one goal. And I'm just wondering as a, he- as a, I kid, kid who grew up in a coach's household, what Dennis Erickson was like and what, what you remember about his coaching style that, that still resonates to this day. He was very good. You know, all those things, he was really good. He, 
I, I was, I was a defensive back. And so, uh, but he was an offensive genius, you know, just before ahead of his time, just spreading the field out and uh, uh, that I just remember him, you know, uh, a nervous ball. Like he threw up before every game. That was a Dennis Erickson trait. Uh, he just would be very high, strong, very nervous, very, but uh, you know, just uh, uh, really jump on people for small details. He's a great coach, you know, and, and, and that proved out. I mean, you know, he, he won everywhere he was at, and Idaho was his start. So you get done. You got a degree in what was it like math or something? You get a math, math degree. and then computer science and, and PE uh, minors. Yeah. So you did do the PE thing, even though your dad told you not to do PE. No, I didn't major in it. <laughs> I, I just I, I am wondering what the minor in PE like. What you? But that was again. But to be a to be a high school coach back then. Like you had to, you might teach PE. So I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So you go to Oregon to be a high school coach for you, yep. right? Yep. Where yeah. Was that? Cause he, now, now dad, now, now dad was a head coach at the University of Oregon. And right. uh, with that math degree, he was right. I mean, back then there was a shortage of math teachers. I had five job interviews and five offers. I mean, I could have went to any high school because they, they're short of math teachers that wanted to coach. So um I ended up going to Oregon City High School right out of, out of a suburb of Portland because it was far enough away, but I could still go to the Duck games and, and, and watch his teams and, and, and start my own. And, and I was a JV basketball coach and, and uh, started off 11-0. and 0, And then the, the uh, uh, head coach stole two of my players, put them up on varsity. And, you know, I was bitter. We, we, we struggled a little bit after that, but I, I, it was a time of my life. But the problem I had is, is after teaching five math classes, I didn't know if I wanted to coach anymore. I was so tired. You know, you'd already, you'd already done basically five practices, uh, you know, before you got to practice. And so, uh, you know, I kind of started doubting if, if coaching really was what I wanted to do. So I went to the final four that year and, uh, and I, I, uh, met, uh, Gene Bartow at the swimming pool. And, uh, and actually everybody thinks my dad got me in, but my mom knew the Bartos from the Nike, uh, coaches trip. And, uh, and so she was talking to Mrs. Bartow and he asked me what I was doing and everything. And I, I said, I, I want to get in, I want to be a graduate assistant somewhere. And he said, really? I, he says, I lost my graduate assistant. He always, he asked me two questions. I'll never forget. Do you have a car? And I said, yeah. And he said, are you married? I said, no. <laughs> and he said, I might have a spot for you, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, I was like Beverly Hillbillies. I, you know, uh, packed up the truck and yeah. And, and moved across country to, um, to uh, Birmingham, Alabama for two years. And at the time of my life, that's where, you know, when you talk about coaches, that's where I really learned. I always tell people that, that I learned what it was to be a coach from my dad and and Judd Heathcote because I was around them as a kid and really formulated, as you know, you know, you really see the, the back, you know, backstage pass of what it is to, and how, what it is to be a coach. But I start, I learned the X's and O's and how, how to coach from Dan Fitzgerald at Gonzaga and then Gene Bartow. Cause Gene Bartow was really interesting because my dad and Judd were just so old school, you know, daily dozen, 12 different ways to shoot a lay in, you know, left hand, uh, on the, on the, off the right foot on the left side. Gene Bartow was just the opposite. Darn it. If you can't shoot with that left hand, why would you use it? Just, do it. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, get that ball in or dunk that ball. You know <laughs> I mean? He was a uh, very, uh, uh, simplistic and, and, a, and a great coach in a whole different way. And so, uh, I, I learned a, a whole bunch in Birmingham those two years. 
Okay, but so your you know your but your life was uh, Pacific Northwest, Cheney, yep. and in Moscow, and then Lansing, and then back to um, it was it was Cheney, and then to Lansing, and then to Moscow, and then to Oregon. Yeah. Look, so you arrive in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Birmingham, Alabama. What, what's <laughs> your first memories of opening up your car door and what that uh, that early part of your life was like? Uh, uh, you know, I, I love my experience there. I just was taken back by people still fighting the civil war there, you know, I, you know, and, and, and as, as you have a year like this year with the black lives matter movement and stuff, I remember going for a jog my first week, uh, and, uh, went to the track there and it's so humid and, uh, going to the, and getting a drinking fountain and water was so cold. And it was one of those old fashioned with just a little knobs that you didn't touch. The water was just always running. And I looked down and it had engraved in it FHO or FWO uh, for whites only. And I was like, you're kidding me. I was just taken back that, 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 that would still be on a drinking fountain, uh, you know, in 1987. And even, uh, one time, uh, Gene Bartow comes in and, and he was just the master of, you didn't know what, when he asked you, Dan Munson, get in my office. I'm, I need you. And, you know, you're a graduate assistant, you're running in, you don't, you know, one time it's, you know, uh, Hey, are you doing anything this afternoon? No coach. What do you need? He said, well, my, my darn pool guy quit on me. My, Ruth needs some help at, at, at the house. You know, can you go vacuum out? You know? So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one time I walked in there. And he says, you do anything this afternoon? I'm like, oh, boy, the pool again or, you know, some commercial. You need to stand by whatever, you know, a standby guy. Uh, he says, uh, Michael Jordan's in town and I need a uh, Murray and I'm his son. Murray and I we're going to take him out for a round of golf this afternoon. Uh, we need a fourth. I heard you're pretty good. Can, can you go with us? And I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't get home and call enough people before the tea time, you know, but but. The, the sad part about it was he was a member of Shoal Creek and he was so embarrassed because uh, he called Shoal Creek and they wouldn't let us on because because Michael Jordan was African-American. And this is 1987. And uh, we had to go to Inverness, which is another nice course in town. And by about the 12th hole, people were coming out in carts. And I, I said to Michael, I said, uh, is it always like this? He goes, "Nah." He goes, usually they find us on the front nine. <laughs> so anyway. Good old stories. Um, yeah. But Birmingham was uh, awesome, awesome experience, but, but just uh, a different culture of life that I lived in the Northwest. How did you, how did you get back to the Pacific Northwest and, 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 and Gonzaga? Well, um, uh, funny, but uh, you know, cause of that, that computer science minor, that was a big deal back then. Nobody knew what a computer was. And, and so dad was the head coach at Oregon. And so on the summers I would go and I'd run his camp for him. And that's where the, as you call it, and some other people call it, the Gonzaga Mafia really started was uh, at that camp because um, I was uh, I, I I would have that whole com- uh, camp on a com- on a computer program and who would be at what court at what time and when lunch was and all this and and so I'd also have to hire the coaches. So the coach at Cresswell High School was one of them. Hey, can I bring my assistant? I'm like, yeah, this. Mark Few guy, you know, assistant high school. Yeah, whatever. Go ahead and bring him. Billy Greer was assistant at Cottage Grove High School. Well, we're just looking for coaches, you know. So uh, Leon Rice was uh, the coach at Boise now. Is Billy Greer's now at, at Colorado. I, I know you know all these, Doug. But um, 
so we all worked the camp and, and Mike Peterson was the women's assistant coach and he worked the camp too. Well, um, Mike, uh, Mike was, the, uh, got the, uh, my dad helped him get the head job at, at, at Gonzaga as a women's coach. Cause he went from the Oregon's assistant. So, so Mike had told me, Hey, you know, you do such a good job with your dad's camp. Can you help us out here at Gonzaga? So, um, the two summers that I was at UAB, I ran my dad's camp and then I worked, uh, Gonzaga. So I got to know Fitz and they, they had an opening, uh, uh, on that, but that, that's, that's kind of where, you know, um, uh, my connections were in that camp was really a, a big part of it. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance... Stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Okay, but okay. So then, at what point in time did you like? Okay, I'm I'm going back to Gonzaga to be an assistant. Well, I got my master's. It took two years, and then I would have went anywhere. I remember um, 
Coach Morgan Thaler at I think it was Northern Illinois. I I got one interview there. I was, but but as you know, as everybody knows, that step from graduate assistant to a full time assistant, I would have went anywhere in the country for that for that opportunity to be a Division One, and it was just so fortunate that I was able to go where the town I was born in, you know, I was born in Spokane. My, my, I had all four grandparents alive at the time that lived in Spokane and it was really kind of an all or nothing. I didn't really have a, a backup plan. I, I interviewed with, and, and I remember walking out of the interview at the final four and from his hotel room with Dan Fitzgerald. And he did like, if you knew Fitz, he did like 90% of the talking and I had all this stuff prepared to tell him and everything. I walked out just so dejected because I was like, I'm not getting that job and I don't know what else I'm, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know where to go or what to do. You know, that's the only division one job I really have in the hopper. And, uh, and uh, I remember he told Pete, uh, Mike Peterson, the women's coach at the time, he said, yeah, he thought it went really well. And I'm like, really? Okay, well, let's roll with it then. And, uh, I ended up getting the job and, uh, uh, you know, I was just second assistant there. And then uh, a year later, the, the head assistant uh, 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 was, was gone. And so he moved me up to the head assistant. And uh, well, actually, the first year I got there with the, the, the DBO job or back then it was a restricted earnings job was open. He right. said, hey, is any you have anybody I'm, you know, he's 20 years older than me. Fitz was. And he's like, I don't know any of these young guys that could do this job. And he said, uh, so I, I, I went back to my guys at camp and, uh, and uh, I, I, I asked Mark few first and, uh, and uh, Mark will tell you it was $500 a year, but he's, he, he's, he's making so much money now. He can't remember how much it was back then, but it was a $5,000 job, like 500 a month is what it was. And, uh, and uh, he said, God, I'd love to get into college coaching so bad. He said, but I can't, I can't afford you know, to do that. So I tried a couple other guys and to get somebody even back then. And this is uh, 80, 80, 88. 80, 88. Yeah. This, this is 88. And even back then 5,000 was, you know, you just couldn't live on that. So I went back to him about a month later and I said, uh, look, I've got a two bedroom apartment. I said, what if you live in the other uh, bedroom for free? could you come do this? And he says, yeah, I think I could make that happen. So that's how Mark got, got on a Gonzaga. Then the following year, um, the head assistant uh, left. And so I got moved up to from second to first and Mark got moved up full time. So we did the same thing and we brought Billy Greer in uh, as, as the uh, graduate assistant uh, or uh, restricted earnings guy. Only we got a lot better deal when, when Billy came because he's kind of, as you know, the Felix Unger of the group. I mean, he cooked, cleaned, uh, did, you know, we, you know, Mark didn't, Mark didn't come with any of those skill sets. So, <laughs> uh, okay. So what do you remember your first year at Gonzaga? Cause all anybody can think of now Gonzaga is winning the league and you know, they, they, they actually skip the Stockton and then there's, you know, like a, a gap and then your run in the NCAA tournament. And then what Fuey has done, what do you remember about Gonzaga when you first got there as a, as a team? Uh, Doug Spradley and Jim McPhee were your two best players. You were a yeah. 500 team in the WCC. That yeah. was back when Pepper, Pepperdine was rolling, right? And that was right when LMU started getting going with transfers. Yep. Um, what, what do you remember about, about that, those Gonzaga teams? My, my first, my first uh, day there, they had a recruit in. Uh, he was going to walk on, but he was, uh, yeah, but they were really high on him in recruiting. And I, 
Uh, his, his name was Jamie Dudley. And Jamie Dudley was a, a, a point guard uh, at the same high school as Steve Kerr, Pacific Palisades. And they were touting him as the next Steve Kerr. And so I was really excited, you know, to, to meet this kid and everything. And uh, he comes with his dad. His dad was a, a doctor, knew nothing about basketball. And they're, they're walking across the old Martin Center. And I go over to meet him. And his dad, first of all, takes his shoes off because he was so uh, didn't realize that, you know, that's that's like 1960s when you couldn't wear, you know, dress shoes on a, on a shoes. Yeah. Black soul shoes, a basketball court. Yep. Yeah. So he takes his shoes off and I look over and I'm thinking, well, he's got a, his little brother. He must be in the bathroom or something because this kid was five nine. Duds is he's not five nine. I mean, he, he, we listed him at five nine. He was five eight, five seven, whatever. But back even then, he was he had to be 130 pounds. Hundred, you know. I mean, he was just it was, and I'm like, oh my. And I'm coming from UAB where we had some dudes. Now we had some players, okay. and uh, I mean, UAB was a Sweet Sixteen team, to, uh, you know, and and uh, you know, been to the. Uh, NCA for seven, eight straight years and stuff. So uh, that was my first memory of, and I'm like, wow, th- this is the kind of guys we're recruiting here. And and Jamie, Jamie is a friend of mine now, and you know he's gonna kill me when he hears this, but but uh, he, I got so I got to say he ended up being a starter and a really good player there, and I was totally wrong by judging by the book by his cover, but uh, it was a whole different, you know, the 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 kennel was. You know, first game, there were maybe 500 people there. My four grandparents were sitting there proud uh, in a section by themselves. You know, uh, they were the only ones with reserved seats. Everybody else would, why would you pay when you could get a uh, general admission ticket for, you know, half the price and and not have to sit behind the bench? So uh, it was, uh, you know, and, and Mark said it when they went to the Final Four. The whole thing was built brick by brick and the right way, but it was a slow, slow process, and it started – really with a foundation and, and, a, and, and a, a brick at the bottom of the, of the totem pole. Fitz would take us out and he would drink red wine and we would sit there, you know, as single guys, just looking at the clock, how long are we going to be here nights, you know, night after night. And he would tell us every time, you know, he had this, he had a lot of the same old stories, but one of his, his tried and true ones was this is the worst job in the WCC. And he had all these facts and, and they were all true. You know, he said, he said, we have the worst weather. I mean, we don't have the weather of San Diego or any L.A. or San Francisco or Portland. You know, we, we have the least amount of players in our area, which which is true. You know, I mean, the, the Bay Area or, or, or Portland or any of that, you know, uh, we have the worst facility besides, uh, um, uh, you know, and we're the ro- uh, besides uh, St. Mary's and we're the most remote. Uh, for recruits to get to so and their families so he had a lot of really good points of why it was where it was and uh, and the only one not really listening to that was Mark I mean every time he you know that's what makes Mark who he is and where Gonzaga is now because you know every time he'd hear something like that it would just uh, you know you could just you could just see I actually see his the 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 skin turn on him and the 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 look on his face was just like you know I, I'm not I'm not listening to this. Your your first good year when you were there really was ninety one ninety two because you went first year there you're five hundred then you guys were terrible first season <laughs> uh, like one like nine one like nine games mm-hmm. uh, and then um, the team with Jeff Brown and Jared Davis uh, you end up finishing fourth in WCC but you win twenty games. Um, then the next, the next year you win 19, but 10 and four in the league. Yeah. What, 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 first, 
how did Fitz coach? Like, what, what was his style? What was what was unique about him as a coach? He he was super negative. It's just super old school. You know, we have some great. I mean, we could we could do a whole podcast on Fitz stories if you got Mark and Billy and I. I together. got time. We'll do that. I'll do that. I'm, I'm down for that one. Mark won't do it because he's like, you know, uh, he's, he's like, like the god. Oh, he's, the, he's the Godfather. We can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We have to have the Godfather. But but uh, Fitz. Fitz was probably the guy because we I, we always say we probably learned more not to do than to do, but we learned a lot of valuable lessons from Fitz. But uh, the the best negativity one was uh, one time we lost a jump ball and he just stomped his feet and Mark and I just both because we're on each side of him, you know, thought we were going to lose lose our I thought I was going to lose my right foot and he thought I was going to lose his left foot and he just just stood up and just stared us both down and said ball game. Because <laughs> we lost the jump ball. <laughs> There's, 39 minutes. There's 39 minutes and 58 seconds left. And he held ball game. <laughs> I, my, the, the, the way I can relate to that is so uh, Fran McCaffrey recruited me to, to Notre Dame. And uh, Digger wasn't there, but Digger was still around. And he was broadcasting at the time. But he was always in the training room. That fucking, he always had an opinion on everything. And I mean, he was an entertaining guy. So um, I go over to Franny's house one time after practice. He's, you know, like I was really bad. You know, like, you know, freshmen come in, they think they're going to be really good. I was so yeah. bad in practice. I was just in a bad place. So I said, what was, yeah, I said, what was Digger like? And he's sick. He's like, okay, I'll give you my best Digger. This is my, my <laughs> least favorite, favorite Digger story. I, I'll go. He said, you know, fucking hated Indiana and Bob Knight. He hated him <laughs> and hate, hated him. And he wanted, so whoever got that scout, you better have everything to do. He's like, the problem with Indiana is not really much to scout, right? right. They don't do anything. They, they run that little triangle. They run two different types of motion. They have one inbounds play. And then you just kind of got to study their personnel. And like, there's no plays. They just run motion. Right. And, but he wants to know everything they do and when they did it, why they did it and everything. So I think he lost like 17 pounds. It's like <laughs> I, every night I'm watching, I watched literally every Indiana game. It was like the third game of the year, you know, every Indiana game for the last two years. And this is, you know, before you had synergy and you're like, you're watching legit tape and rewinding or whatever. And uh, second play of the game, ball goes out of bounds underneath their own basket. And they'd, they'd always run one kind of inbounds play. It's, I guess the same one Duke ran forever, which is, you know, basically you had four guys along the baseline and you just kind of circle the guy in the strong side corner goes to the weak side corner. The guy in the weak side corner comes off the stagger in the strong side corner. Like, that's all they run. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. That's it. You know, maybe sometimes the bigs will screen for each other. He's like, but we prepared for it for a week. And they, they, they line up in a completely different set. And he's like, here I am. Like my suit doesn't fit me. It's hanging off me. I look like I'm, I'm going through chemo. Like I really look bad because all I, I put all of my energy in the preseason into this Indiana scout. He turns around and goes, Freddie, what the fuck is that? And he's like, you know, like I'm, I'm not in the practice. You know, I, it's a different set, you know, but same kind of thing. Like it's, it is interesting. And, and it's interesting because, you, you know, Judd, at least outwardly, and I don't know what he was like as a coach, but outwardly, he's one, he was one of the funniest human beings I have ever met. Dirty as hell, but the funniest human beings I have ever met. But so many of those older coaches, and I find myself coaching kids like struggling with the, because I was raised in a household of, yeah. where there's like negativity, right? Where it's yeah. just, somebody makes a mistake and you just jump them. 
Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that that that's how it, that's, that's how the game was taught then. And it is not, it has evolved in many ways to not be taught in nearly the same fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, but Fitz was, you know, like those guys, he was a good coach. I mean, he, he, he knew, you know, I mean, the X's and O's and, and we learned a lot from him. Um, and a lot, like, like we're saying, a lot of things we wouldn't because he was super hard on us. And like, uh, I don't think to this day we, we, we had packed. If we ever get to be a head coach, we'll never have a meeting the night of a game after a game. Yeah. It's just too emotional because we would call it a paper route because, you know, he would run the jump ball. I mean, the jump ball was a big deal to him. You know, you had to prepare and you had to win, the, you know, and you had to know where they were tipping it and everything. And he would run the jump ball back 10 times. And we're like, this is going to be a paper route, you know, because we're going to go home and the paper is going to be sitting right there. And we're going to see the paper boy, you know, going around the neighborhood because it's going to be five in the morning before we get out of here, you know. So, um, uh, but, but uh, you know, those guys just, uh, and, and Judd and my dad were, and, and, and Fitz were a lot, they had a lot of similarities, just how they coach. Like I said, you know, left-hand lay-ins and, and uh, jump stops and, and uh, you know, the game, the game now, and, and kids just don't respond to, to the negativity or to, to that kind of uh, a coaching style anymore. So we've all evolved and, and we're all better for it. I think, you know, in the long run. Did, did it when, so in 94, you guys won the league, mm-hmm. won the league. Yeah. Uh, was, but it did, it didn't become a thing. Gonzaga didn't become, was because he didn't make the tournament. Like why wasn't it, it didn't, because it didn't hit until you became the, you became the head coach. Why wasn't, why wasn't Gonzaga more on the map at that point? Dad? Well, I think it was, it was uh, still, still evolving, you know, in, in the fact that, uh, uh, that, that, that group that you said, you know, that won the league the first year, those guys were, I think the first recruiting class we had as assistants, at least I was there, Mark might've came next year. And that group, that group changed Gonzaga's mind. It changed the culture a lot. We redshirted five guys and, and halfway through the year, we quit scrimmaging them because they would just annihilate, you know, confidence wise. They, they just were so much better than the guys that we were put on the floor. I think that was a year he said we won nine games. And to Fitz's credit, you know, he bit the bullet that year because all of them didn't need a red shirt. You know, some of them could have played. Jeff Brown obviously couldn't because uh, he was uh, a transfer from uh, Washington at the time. But we had Matt Stanford. I think uh, Dudley might have been part of that. Um, uh, uh, Jeff uh, uh, Jared Davis was part of that. Matt Stanford. Uh, who who all want, were part of that uh, team that won the championship? And then Marty Wall was the center of that of that scout team, and so you know it. Uh, the thing about that program that is always the culture of it's always been is uh, like even my team in ninety ninety nine that that went to the lead eight on that team it had I think three or four guys that had at least paid one year of their college, and it had about five or six guys that um, that um, had redshirted. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of always been a staple Gonzaga is you wait your turn, you know, you develop, um, uh, you know, you get stronger, you know, you come in with a chip on your shoulder. You're not the player you want to be that you, you know, you can be, and we're going to, we're going to develop you and get you, we're going to get you there in a year or two. And, uh, you know, that, that, that was the start of that kind of culture and those, that, those five guys sitting out and, uh, we, we, we did win the league and then we didn't sustain it and um, um, ended up, uh, I think it took a, a couple more years, you know, but we were, we were never, 
you know, we were always on the cusp. We were, we were a different program after we won that league that in 2000. And what would, would you say it was? Or, yeah. Uh, 94. 94. Yeah. That's a lot of years ago. I can't remember all of them. I know there's a lot, a lot of, a <laughs> lot of, a lot of, a lot of post game meetings that you said you wouldn't have that you ended yeah. up having. That's like actually, that's <laughs> no, actually, but never have unless, unless we're in a tournament well, we a game the next day. Well, I mean, a post game meeting had drinking a beer. Is it really any, any different, <laughs> right? Is it, is it, is it really any different? Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for... Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at FoxSportsRadio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. What happened fits this last year? Because it went, went bad at the end, right? I mean, you guys, what, what, what happened at the, at the end? No, it, it went, uh, uh, it went uh, he had a decent year. I, I think, I, don't, I forget what his record was. Um, but they, they uh, about three years before he retired, um, uh, the University of Eastern Washington opened up. And uh, 
uh, John Johnson, the AD there, talked to both my dad and I. First, my dad, and my dad's like, hey, I'm retired. I'm not interested. And so then he, he offered me the job, and I went into Fitz, and I said, hey, uh, uh, I think I'm going to go to Eastern. I think I'm ready to be a head coach. He says, I know you're ready, but he goes, you don't, you don't want to do that. He goes, you can't win there. They don't have the resources. He goes, you're, you're crazy. You know, you don't just go to be a head coach to be a head coach. And I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, let's think, let's talk about it uh, tomorrow. You know, let's take a night. So I called Easter and said, I need a couple of days. And so he comes back the next day and he said, okay, what if I coach five more years? And Father Coughlin says, you know, we can promise you that the, the job. And I said, you know, five years, you know, at that, when you're young and 20, uh, I don't know what I was then. I was, I guess, 30. 35, 30. I'm like, I, I can't wait. You know, I mean, this five more years, this is hard living, you know? So I said, I, I don't think so. I think I'm going to do it. He comes back the next day. He says, I talked to Darlene. How about if, if I coach this year and next year? Uh, and we promised you. And I said, yeah, that'd be, you know, so I was a coach in waiting for, and I go out, we go out and recruit the one that, that year before my first, and he didn't go out at all. We got crucified recruiting wise in the fact that, Everybody was, well, well, how are you going to go with this young staff? None of them have ever been a head coach and, you know, all, all that. And, and yet it became a blessing because the Casey Calvary's of the world that said, screw it, this is who I want to play for. And uh, I'm going to show you guys that this is going to, you know, th that was our, you know, Santangelo was already, already on board. But, you know, uh, I think Richie and, and uh, Matt were those first two guys that really believed in us. Um, okay, so you, so you take over. And you got Bakari Hendricks, right? Yep. How'd you get, how'd you get Bakari? Uh, Bakari, uh, I, I saw Bakari the, the uh, year before in Vegas uh, at one of those JC, you know, offshoots. You go to Vegas and there's a million high school, but there's one JC tournament. And uh, I really liked his game. And I, I remember, I never forget calling him and, and, uh, and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, um, we're going to recruit you next year and everything, you know, I, I, I really liked what you saw. We're going to need a big man. You know, I'm, he's going to be my, you know, I'm going to be the coach in a year or so. And, and, you know, really love to have you. Uh, Cause he was, he had another year of junior college left. And so I, at the end of the phone call, uh, I said, now, if you, if, if we're going to do this, you know, if we're going to recruit you, you got to have good grades. And I give him the, the academic spiel. Gonzaga is a good school and we got to make sure that you keep your grades up. And he goes, he goes, Oh, I'm a good student, which, every, every JC guy is going to tell you I'm a good student. And I said, I said, what do you mean by a good student? He goes, well, I'm a predictor. I, I, I could, you know, I, I predicted out of high school. I said, you mean you're eligible right now? I said, he said, yeah. I said, well, does your JC coach know that? He goes, yeah, he just doesn't tell anybody or something like that. And I said, well, we got a scholarship now. Would you be interested in coming now? And so um, I think, you know, we kind of, quote unquote, stole him because nobody really knew that he had three years and could back then, you know, that there, that wasn't a very normal path for kids to get to division one. And uh, yeah. And he was, uh, you know, he was a, a man out of, uh, I forget what junior college out of, um, out of uh, Northern California, but uh, uh, he came up and um, uh, I remember um, he committed to me and then uh, reneged and went to on a visit to new Orleans and came back and, and uh, was going to go there, and, and I, I just said, "Hey, you, you, are, you tell me you're a man of your word, and you're and it shamed him into coming to Gonzaga because I think New Orleans was, you know, a bit, bit better place than we were at that time. You know, that was the kind of people we were recruiting against." 
Okay, so uh, Santangelo. Now, for the record, I, I think Santangelo gets lost in all the discussions about the great Gonzaga guards. Like, mm-hmm. I, I remember in your first year, flipping on ESPN late at night and watching WCC games, and be like, yo, this dude can go. And uh, we used to watch those kind of late night game. How, how did, tell me about his recruitment. Well, that was all Mark. You know, Mark had a, um, a vendetta against Fitz. Fitz was, uh, as far as recruiting goes, because Fitz would uh, uh, get pissed if, if we're recruiting anybody in the pack. Back then, it was a Pac-10. Pac-10 was recruiting um, uh, because, hey, you're, we're wasting school's money. You know, you, you, you guys are so stupid. You know, you can't, you're not you're ever going to beat, you know, when it comes down to it, those kids are going to just string you along, string you along. But at the end of the day, they're going to go to a Pac-10 school. So just despite, because they just go head to head on so many things, just despite him, Mark would only recruit guys that had a Pac-12 school on their list. And so, um, so Santangelo was, um, uh, his three schools that he visited was, was uh, uh, Stanford, Rice, and Gonzaga. And it's, that shows you the, 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 and back then, I mean, those, those two schools were, academically and athletically had, you know, was, it was a no brainer for a kid, you know? And, and the thing that Mark has that uh, quality that, that, you know, and that people that know him know his, his ability to, to make people believe something that, I mean, he can go off on, I don't know, climate control and whatever he wants and, and make you, you know, whatever side you're on and convince you the other way, you know, I mean, he, I, I just, I heard him for hours because, Mark and I and Bill now, we lived together for eight years. Mark and Marcy lived with me the first year they're married, you know, before they got wow. enough to get their own house. So, you know, I'd listen to every recruiting call. And I, even I was I was kind of on Fitz's side. I'm like, this kid's going to Stanford, okay? He is not coming here, you know? And Mark would give him the, oh, you, you think Stanford? He goes, really? So what you're telling me is is you're not, you, you don't like basketball. You, you're not a basketball player. because And they were like, they were like, uh, top 10 in the country basketball wise. He said, yeah. because you're not going to, you're not going to play there. They got this guy, they got this guy, they got this guy. So you're going to go for the education and, and ML car it and wave a towel on the end of the bench because, you know, um, they've already got two or three point guards. And, and so you don't really, you don't really care about your career. And he would just, and he have ability to do it and say it in a way where he would challenge the, the, the kid, but not piss him off, which, you know, is a, is an art form. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I remember we, there weren't a lot of games on, but I turned on one and right. He was on a rice visit and rice upsets. I, I don't, you know, um, not, not Texas, but Texas tech or somebody at home. And, and he's out in the middle and they, they, they got him in, uh, on the, on the field, uh, tearing down the goalposts and he's on a, you can see him on there and we're like, Oh, we're not getting this kid. There's no way, even if Stanford doesn't, well, Stanford, you know, as I'm down at Long Beach now, uh, Glenn McDonald is in the Hall of Fame here and it was an NBA player. And his son, Michael McDonald, ends up going from uh, going to Stanford. My dad. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael McDonald, uh, Stanford takes Michael McDonald. And uh, and so they don't end up going on Matt. And uh, and Mark just d- dug it out through the with Rice and uh, and, and convinced him. Did he, and one thing he convinced him, too, is that he could redshirt at Gonzaga because Matt was uh, – he wasn't, he wasn't Dudley size. He was 6'1 or 6'2 maybe, uh, maybe not, maybe six foot. 
but he's super athletic, but he was 145, 50 pounds. And he came in and redshirted his first year. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and then, and then played for Fitz a year and then, and then played uh, a year for me and two for Mark. And, and, as, as you, and you're right on, I mean, he was the, um, he and, he and Quentin Hall, you know, the great thing about those teams is they had two point guards on it and, and they could, they played off each other. Uh, and, and I've always said, you know, two point guards is, and I, I think I heard you say that on TV the other day that, uh, two point guards is really a dangerous way to play because, you know, you're so versatile you can't knock down stuff and, and they play. Well, I, I think, I, I think, and, and I think that one of the things is that we, we underrate or we don't understand Viewers especially don't understand, and basketball people don't understand this. Um, even guys like me and Quinton Hall couldn't shoot, right? Mm-hmm. The, the fact is that the more, the more guards you have, the, the fewer turnovers you're going to have, and the, some guards turn it over a lot. Okay, but by and large, more guards, the, we know the weakness to it, rebounding, obviously, interior defense, but you're going to turn over less. And you're also, I believe, always going to shoot a higher percentage because it's not just that they they pass more; they pass better. Right? They pass. Well, they create. Better. They create for others more too. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so you you had that, and then you had okay. So, what about Richie? Because Richie became after his career uh, the best player. Right. Played some in the NBA. Richie was a. I played with him at uh, Portsmouth. He was an unbelievable shooter. And he could move and catch with, with great balance. He was a very good player. Um, how'd you get Richie? Um, R- Richie was a battleground Washington, you know, just uh, he didn't have a lot of recruitment. He was, and, and again, it's, it was kind of the Gonzaga mold of getting guys, you know, under the radar in that he wasn't very developed. I mean, Richie in the NBA and, and even his last few years at, at Gonzaga, I mean, he had a, a, a great basketball body. I mean, he was six, six and chiseled and, and but th- he didn't come that way. I mean, he was he was six, four or five and, and gangly and 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 weak. And uh, and all he all he had really was that jump shot coming out of out of high school uh, and it couldn't really put it on the floor at all. And uh, just a just kind of a catch and shoot guy. But but we really valued shooting the ball at Gonzaga. And uh, he was just uh, us in Portland were his his uh, last two schools and uh uh, we were starting to have a little bit more success then. And, uh, um, you know, and he, he was, he was a real key because, uh, he, uh, because that area, you know, his familiarity, then, then he kind of brought Zach Gord and, and, uh, and Dan Dickow uh, were, were like from that same 15 mile radius that knew each other. And so uh, he ended up being a, a, a one for three package uh, down the road a year or two later. Okay, um, and then Axel Dench, I remember. I, I, I played some with, with Axel Dench. He's a great personality. He's, yeah. but, but, and, and that was before Aussies were kind of the, the thing, really, I, I think, in the WCC, right? Before St. Mary's went and started getting all these Aussies. Yeah, well, that came from uh, my, my dad when he got, when he got uh, done at he was uh, in Oregon. Uh, I think that was in 82. Um, uh, he went uh, one year uh professionally and he was the coach of the Adelaide 36ers over in Adelaide Australia and uh 92 uh, by the way not 92 92 not 82 82. yeah absolutely um uh and um uh so I went over and visited him uh and I was assistant at Gonzaga and he had a uh a uh 
young, like 16 year old, like 6'10, seven, he ended up being seven foot, but 6'10, really skilled kid and Paul Rogers on his developmental team. And uh, so uh, I was able to quote unquote, you know, get a relationship going with him and, uh, and, and met a couple people over there. And I met uh, Melbourne, they played Melbourne. I met the GM, got his number and that kind of thing. So, and we had John really, but John really, we didn't get through any pipeline. John really came over on his own. Now he's assistant at Santa Barbara. And, and, and he was, he was a great, he was the guy that got the Zags through the very first NCAA tournament. I remember he set a WCC record for, and I remember one of the timeouts, I was just an assistant for Fitz. And, and I remember telling the guys, guys, if you'll just get out of the way, John's going to get us to the NCAA tournament. I mean, he, he said, I think he had 13 threes in the tournament and seven in the championship game or something crazy. Um, but uh, he came over on his own and just went to Tacoma community college. And, and uh, John has a great story about that. You know, uh, Mark and I go over to watch him and, and he wasn't Mark's kind of player. Mark, uh, originally was, again, he was into these Pac-12 athletes that, that, you know, could go. John, we went over and watched him, and it was a one-on-zero workout. And uh, and uh, um, he he shot the mess out of the ball. I mean, John could just, I mean, without anybody out there. And that, the amazing thing with him is, is he you could face guard him for 20 minutes, but if, if you let him go after the 21st minute and lost him, I mean – it wasn't, didn't matter if he hadn't touched the ball in 20 minutes, it was going in. He could really shoot. But at the end of that workout, after, you know, as John will tell the story, he thought he really impressed us. Mark said to him, uh, John, can you show us your best dunk? <laughs> John's like, oh my God, I'm not, if that's what they're looking for, I'm the wrong guy. But uh, anyway, so we did have a little bit of pipeline from my dad going over there for a year and I, I got a couple connections. And so, um, Axel, Axel was one though. I just took the, the, a flyer on as far as I hadn't seen him play and Fitz is like, Hey, uh, you know, if you trust these people and you know, they told me he was six ten, and, and, you know, usually when you go to meet him on to get him off the plane, they're usually six five, you know, and, right. uh, but he was everything they, they build him up to be, you know, a very skilled big man. And, uh, you know, was an integral cog in that, in that Gonzaga run. You know, it's interesting. So your first year, you guys win the league. Right? Mm-hmm. But then you lost in the conference tournament finals, right? So you went to the NIT and uh, you played two games in it. Um, did that, I mean, I, 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 again, I don't know at the time, was that part of the mentality that changed the next year? Was it you guys just got better and that's why you made the run the next year? How did that, or did you learn as a coach? Because that's also your first year as a coach. Uh, what from that first year Helped you with that second year. That, that was just the culture of the program then. You know, th- those, like I said, we had a lot of guys that, that had walked on that didn't feel like that they had, you know, uh, that or, or should thought that they should have been uh, players at, at the Pac-12 level or had redshirted. And we were a better team in, 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 in 98. It was an actual better team than the 99 team that went to the lead eight. It had – all the same guys, only Bacardi Hendricks was player of the year in the league. And he was a, just a stud, you know, so we, we, we had everybody coming back in 99, but we lost him. And, but the chip on their shoulder and the, the, um, you know, expectations uh, after winning the league the year before. And, and, and if they would have had the net or the, you know, all the, the, um, 
technology oh, that was, that we have yes. now. You, you R- know, it was, it, it was RPI. It was, it was crazy. RPI. It was they would, they, that was a year before the RPI. If they would have had any of that, that team would have went to the NCAA tournament. I mean, we had, we had, you know, a lot of quality, you know, power five wins. Uh, but they just weren't taking teams then that they didn't have to take. And we not only, we only not only got snubbed by the NCAA, but, but the NIT takes us. And for a party in Wyoming, for a party gift, they sent us to, to, to Laramie, Wyoming, who only lost was to Majerus in Utah that year at home to altitude, just to get rid of us. You know, we go there, we win. Uh, and, and, and so we're, you know, kind of excited in the locker room. We're proving that we, we should have went to the NCAA tournament. And the, the director goes, congratulations. This is like a Tuesday. Thursday, you're playing in, in Hawaii. So we got to get from Laramie, Wyoming to Hawaii in like 24 hours. And, uh, and then we ended up losing there. And so the guys really felt, you know, uh, from 98 that, that we were capable of that. And I think that was the, the key to that team. And the key to the culture of Gonzaga is they, they've been prove, trying to prove every, you know, everybody always doubts them, doesn't think that they're the team they should be or, you know, that they're getting, you know, uh, you know, they're this little Cinderella that, that, you know, is a, a f- fun story, but they're not really as good as people are saying. And, and that, that, that mindset and culture is can continue for 20 years. Um, the next year, obviously it wasn't just that you went to the tournament, right? It was, you guys thumped everybody in the WCC tournament, right? Like you kicked the crap out of Portland, you beat St. Mary's by 13, and then you beat Santa Clara by like, 30 in the in the championship game it was like these are no doubters in no santa doubters. in santa clara yes. with a packed yes. house i was worried about that because you know we'd already beat them twice pretty good in a, in a regular season now you got to go to their place you know and uh that was that was all matt santangelo i mean he 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 had 30 some and he just um uh, again, he had, he had heard the noise enough and and as you said he was really underrated in getting this whole thing started uh, okay, so you go to take on, ironically, Minnesota in the NCAA tournament, and now you're kind of cute, little fuzzy, little little Gonzaga. Um, How did you feel? Because you had played some high majors in both the past, in both those two years. How did you feel about that team getting, getting ready for the tournament? Good, good. I mean, we felt we felt like it was a good draw. I mean, you know, they they gave us a lot of respect. I think we were a 12th seed, you know, and that was pretty high for. Uh, Gun, you know, for a, a mid-major school back then, you know, and, um, and, you know, we felt Minnesota, we looked at them and they, they had, you know, the Lewis and Clark uh, show, you know, two really, you know, uh, uh, Lewis, I know was a uh, NBA player for a long time and, and, uh, you know, but um, uh, we get the pregame meal and there's this big, uh, uh, scuttle or, you know, they didn't really have the internet back then. So we didn't really, but, but there was a, a breaking story out of Minneapolis that they had this academic scandal and that some of their guys were going to sit and we didn't know who we had practiced all week on a triangle and two and a lot of different, different looks, you know, um, uh, we had Quentin Hall, you know, on, on Lewis. I remember that because Lewis was like six, seven and, and, yep. and we ended up going to a box of one cause, Clark did not play. He was one of the guys they sat. But I remember telling our guys, look, they're still going to take out five Big Ten players. None of you guys are Big Ten players. You all know that. You all got snubbed there. So, you know, we, we, we just got to worry about ourselves. And that team had a great ability to do that. And, uh, 
And there, there was a, a picture of, of, of Quentin, you know, just trying to guard this six guy, seven guy who, who never scored on him. I don't think, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, we, you know, won the game, but the guys weren't that excited. It was like, they, they had, you know, we were kind of in a, in, in a bubble, you know, uh, they, they felt like they belonged there and, and, and really played like it. Um, the triangle too is, is interesting because uh, you used it. I've seen self use it. Tim Floyd used it. I, I saw it a good amount when I was in college because I couldn't shoot. So I would be, I, would, I was not one of the two. Um, <laughs> why, why do you think, and, and we do this thing where we call it a junk defense, right? Mm-hmm. Call it a junk defense. Uh, you know, as if, as if taking the two best players out of the game is somehow uh, some underhanded philosophy, right? Um, was your dad a triangle two guy? Like, how did you, why, why would you use it and so many others will not? Oh, my dad was a huge, he's a huge zone. He's still every, you know, I had a game last week. Uh, I, I said, I said, well, uh, God, like my guys just don't believe in its zone. I, he said, well, yeah, you gave it two possessions. So you really gave it a good chance there. Didn't you, Dan, you know, you, as soon as they hit the one shot, you're out of it, you know? And, uh, yeah, my dad was, my dad prided himself on, on, uh, his defensive schemes and, and taking people out, taking the best player out. And he was, a you know, different types of boxing ones, different types of triangle and twos, different, different types of zones. Uh, and actually, uh, um, uh, he, he and Judd Heathcote developed the matchup zone, uh, uh, and, 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 you know, Michigan state, you know, won a national championship with it. The, but the, um, problem was, is a three point line came in and it really, uh, you know, kind of, uh, stretched that out and it was, it, it became a little bit harder to run. You get ready for UConn. It's the elite eight, right. And, and they got, they got, uh, Rip Hamilton, they got Khalid El-Amin, who, by the way, Khalid El-Amin, if I remember correctly, I think he was like 0 of 12 in that game, right? Like he was, it, it was, it was bad. Now, Santangelo was bad too. Like neither of them could, could, could hit a shot. When you think back to that game, what, what, what do you remember? I don't have any regrets. You know, that's a great thing. You know, the only regret I have about that whole run is it was too early in my career to appreciate, you know, I mean, I haven't, I mean, you know, here we are 21 years later and that's still my claim to fame and, and it's, I'm proud of it. And don't get me wrong. I know we're probably not doing this interview without it, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, uh, I, I, I felt like we, you know, it was the first time in the, you know, we, we, after Minnesota, Stanford was a two seed. And, and I remember Mike Montgomery shaking my hand after the game. He said, you guys are better than we are. And, and I think our players felt that same way before that game. And then, and then Florida, you know, uh, Florida, we end up on a, on a tip in Casey Calvary tip in uh, to win it. But our, our, we felt good. I, I'm not sure we weren't favored going into that game. You know, I mean, we felt like we, we were, it was a really good matchup for us. Connecticut was the first game where we're like, as a staff, we're like, oh boy, you know, we play these guys, we play these guys 10 times. I'm not sure we're winning five of these, you know? So, um, uh, but as I told our team, we don't need to be, we don't need to play them 10 times. We need to play them once and we need to be the better team tomorrow, you know? And, um, and our, I think our guys, you know, really believe that. I remember after that Stanford, the kids had a um, tradition that I didn't even know about until I saw the films, you know, after, after the whole run was over, I guess every time they'd win, they'd get off the bus and they'd run to the, to the, to the hotel pool and jump in with their uniforms on. 
So it got to be something that I guess everybody knew about but me. <laughs> but because um, back then I would have been worried about, you know, hey, we don't have an extra set of uniforms. We don't have the money, you know, but um, don't ruin those things. But I guess they were sitting in a hot tub because I saw the interview later and Quentin Hall sitting in there and uh, and a, a, a good looking sideline reporter gal was trying to interview him. They're like, no, 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 you got to get into the, you got to get into the jacuzzi if you're going to talk to us, you know? So they go her into getting in and she's in her like sideline clothes and she gets in and she said, you guys are 40 minutes from the final four. How's it feel being the underdog, but 40 minutes away. And Quentin Hall says, we're the underdogs. Who says we're the underdogs. And that's just the mindset and mentality those guys had. Okay, so that's it for part one. Um, we'll drop part two, I don't know, tomorrow? Why not, right? We'll drop part two tomorrow. It's a long listen. Part two is amazing. There's a little nugget about me and Coach Mons that a few people know. There's also a story in part two about me and Mark Few and Marcy Few that I've never told anyone ever. But I'll share it with the world on the part two of the podcast. In the meantime, just a reminder, if you like what I do, if you like what we do, download uh, the Doug Gottlieb show. We had the podcast version of it uh, or listen to it live three to six Eastern, 12 to three Pacific on Fox sports radio, Fox the iHeartRadio app or Sirius XM two seventeen and two Oh three. Hope you enjoyed it. You will love part two. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is all ball. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. 
Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m. Wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m. Grab seats for the game. Ah! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.